This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. Here we go. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270TheFan. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. You're going to need a bigger boat. Welcome into the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This is the February 20th, 2019 Year of Our Lord edition. Brought to you by... Bobby Rosati. He brings it every week. Resident knob diddler. Handles all the promos, gets us in and out of breaks. It's a pleasure. Always. I enjoy it. Mike Rodak of ESPN.com's here. So is Jonah Bronstein of Joan, uh, Bronstein Enterprises. John Warrow, the Associated Press, in studio for the full two hours. We're going to talk a lot of Sabres today. Uh-oh. I know. The Must Sabres we? are, they've gotten, a, they've gotten sideways and, and can't pull out of it. And it doesn't look like they're anywhere closer to a playoff position now than they were, well, within the past few years. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> pick a year. I mean, it seems about as realistic, right? And I'm, I'm being only slightly hyperbolic. But the Sabres are in a bad way. Effort is a question. Personnel is a question. The coaching is being questioned. Jason Botterill had a, an emergency news conference today down in uh, Tampa where the Sabres are going to be playing the Lightning tomorrow night and trying to find some semblance of traction as they head down the home stretch. Yeah, and just it just so happens to be against one of the – The best team in the NHL. Right. I was actually going to say one of the best teams in the NHL of the past few years. Right. Statistically speaking. Minus a cup. Right. Well, yes. Yeah. Oh, you're going to – that asterisk. <laughs> They're very good. Yeah, they're above average. So let's just get it out at the top here. What is the state of the Sabres in general terms? John Morrow covers them uh, inside and out. Um, And I know that there is one particular media member out there who will take exception that if I don't say, but you don't travel with them. I, that is correct. You are I, not, I have traveled with them once. You don't hold them accountable on the road like some of us do. The AP, however, the AP is at every game. That's right. Every game. So what's going on with the Sabres, John? I really think that... How long have you covered the Sabres? Since I got here, 2000. So, so this is your 19th seat. Well, there was a lockout in there. Right. There's, yeah, there's, there's, we stuff. missed one season. Uh, yeah, so. It's your 19th year yeah. yeah, covering the Sabres. And I got here in late March, so I got to cover that... Uh, what amounted to no it wasn't Hasek's last playoff series, but uh, I believe they got knocked out by the Flyers in 2000. It was Pekka's last series because he had he held out the following year, if I remember correctly. It's been so long. But what's state of the Sabers? I mean, I'm I'm wondering 
and, and, and I got around to this in my head last night. At first, I started to think that this reminds me a lot of 2016-17, where the Sabres came out of their bye week and fell off the cliff by losing, blowing third-period leads in Colorado, Arizona. And they, I think they won like four games over the last six months, uh, six weeks, uh, which led to Tim Murray and Dan Bilesma being fired. I, I, however, am thinking, and and I think this what Jason Botterill said today kind of reinforces it. They're looking at developing players, and they want to see how these players react to the intensity of the season in the second half. They're not responding, um, and I think that's a reason why Botterill has not made many moves um, to this point. He wants to see how you know Casey Middlestat and some of these youngsters respond um, to give them that sense. This is in in essence where the Bills were, if you want to put it, to start last season. The Bills got better. The Sabres haven't. Um, This is a team that lacks talent. I think impatience is getting at a lot of Sabres fans. Understandably so. They haven't made the playoffs since, what, seven? It's going to be be eight years. But this is the second year of Botterill's rebuild. And if you – I, the only way I can bring this up is the tank didn't work, and now I think we're we're finally getting to see that the hole that this team dug itself into in tanking to get Jack Eichel one player is so deep that this is where this team is still at. I agree with that. I actually was a proponent of the tank. I've always been my entire life. I've always thought, well, if you're not going to go to the playoffs, then go ahead and try to get the best player you can. And different sports uh, have uh, different emphasis on that. Of course, basketball, the player is going to have a much greater impact on your team. Uh, And uh, football probably after that. And then hockey after that, if you're going to rank them. Baseball probably fourth. Yep. Uh, And uh, But... I think that there was I looked at it as I'm I'm pro tank but with a lot of caveats on there and there had to be a lot of yes it's a good step but it wasn't a policy in my mind and I think that there were and I don't want to get into it too much especially not for the full 2 hours of the show but it was presented as as simple it was as no no brainer so easy Right. And all you have to do is this and just watch the watch the win column fill up. And we're looking at how important a culture is, uh, how important depth is, organizational depth. And I know that one of the um, running jokes that I'm seeing on social media now is, yeah, the Sabres can't win, but uh, a few years from now they're going to have a bunch of Calder Cups uh, that they will have won, uh, AHL championships. Right. Because Jason Botterill's focus on the AHL is – uh, maybe going to take away from his uh, his focus on on the prize at hand, which is winning a Stanley Cup. But, anyways, well, that, that was the big that right, was the big yeah. problem, and it's why Toronto was able to turn Austin Matthews more quickly into a viable superstar uh, or a productive contributor to a successful organization than the Sabres were able to do with Jack Eichel is because of supporting cast. It's Correct. an organizational thing. The tank was not a Jack Eichel thing. It it. it it impacted the entire organization, and they're still trying to recover from but it. But when, when do we question not only the tank, but the player whom they tank for? Oh, I think that's starting to happen. In t- not, I He's think not people- a franchise changer. 
we don't eyes. know that. The whole, because we yeah. don't because he doesn't have the talent around him. He he has pieces of talent around him, which Bottle I believe is trying to is waiting to see for all that stuff to catch up. Connor McDavid is the best player in the league, Correct. and he hasn't been able to do it either. So Jack Eichel, I will give him a lot of leeway. Uh, in I'm not going to blame him for this. This was not his fault. I'm sure that he would rather not be in the situation of being known as the savior on a nightly basis. Yes, he's the captain, and he was the number two overall pick, and the the generational phrase was thrown around recklessly, especially when it came to Jack Eichel, but it made for a nice story uh, when he was coming out with Connor McDavid and we're looking at the future of the NHL, and let's go ahead and consider him generational too because he's a nice consolation prize if you don't get Connor McDavid. So Jack Eichel was saddled with too high expectations. That said, he is a very gifted player. He should be a perennial all-star. I'm counting for the game, not right. the not the end of the season award, uh, which there is a difference when it comes to the National Hockey League. Uh, but um, but yeah, it, it's not his fault. Is he living up to expectations? I don't think he is, but that's not his fault. The expectations were thrown on him uh, be, by the whole debate. Pro and con. I'm talking both sides of I the agree. tank debate. Through you know the uh, put too high of a, an importance on this one move, this one player, and you, this isn't football. This isn't Andrew Luck, or it's not making a trade player for player. They traded multiple seasons for a player. Correct. They Correct. didn't just trade a, a draft pick, a, uh, an NHL starter, and a depth player out of the minors. Without- a guy from Rochester. They traded seasons. Without adding, 82 without games times depth, what, three, four? Right, without addressing the depth in, a, in the AHL, to have guys be ready for when Jack Eichel arrives to complement his, his game. That whole franchise was torn down to its foundation with, with the hopes that Jack Eichel was going to be the guy to carry this whole thing to the promised land. Um, and Jason Botterill... Strikes gold with Jeff Skinner trade, sure. but let's say that that trade doesn't happen. Now you can't say, well, it did happen. But trades like that don't happen too often, so they're just one move away from being perhaps the worst team in the NHL again. Well, and and well, actually, and and you can't credit Bottle for this, but he had more luck than Tim Murray when it came to the draft lottery. But I I still think that we're in the building processes of this franchise um, as to what the vision might be. You mentioned Rochester. Rochester is better. That is a hopeful sign. That means there's talent down there. That means we're waiting for guys like Olofsson and Goulet to finally, you know, make the jump here. Um, And and, and that, you better hope, will be next year because I, I, I think Bottrell's plan and his vision is, I think he's come to an, a, an acceptance that this team is not a playoff team. Let's see how it goes. Let's leave, leave Rochester for Rochester and, address, and, and, and leave these guys to figure things out for themselves and learn. We have a lot of different issues that we can get into with the Buffalo Sabres. Of course, it's the goaltending. We can talk about the development of Eichel and Darlene, which has been very encouraging. We can talk about the... Uh, What's going on on the blue line? We can talk about the Jeff Skinner contract uh, updates. Or, or any, any hearing anything on that while we're, while I'm on that topic? No, my expectation is that they're going to have a deal done before July 1st, and that he's going to stay. I at this point, Jason Botterill cannot lose Jeff Skinner, um, but I also also think a lot of things favor 
the Sabres on the contract front when you're looking at all the three senators, all these 26-year-olds who are eligible for free agency, that money is now going to – that's going to water down free agency as far as how much money's out there um, for, for teams to spend because they're going – because most teams are going after re-signing their younger players. You've got the Leafs with Austin Matthews, with, um, um, with um, Mitch Marner. Um, so there's going to be less money to be thrown around in free agency, which actually benefits the Sabres, where I think if Skinner likes Buffalo, I think he'll like, he'll be more tempted to take what's on the table than risk what might be offered on July 1st. And I think he likes to be closer to All home. Right. It's a dangerous game as one reporter to another fellow Fair. reporter. Yeah. Uh, we do We are perceptive. And there are things that we pick up that we can't report and gives us gut feelings on how a person is or expressions or how you see him act when the microphones and the cameras aren't on. Do you have a take on Jeff Skinner and his uh, base, not what, based on what he said on the record? We all know what he said on the record, but do you have a sense as to what he really thinks of Western New York and how might the Sabres' recent woes, and that's a concern that some fans have. You should have signed him when things were going well while he's still feeling it, while he's feeling that this is a great place for him and uh, 10-game win streak and first place in the NHL and capture the that. possibilities versus, oh my God, now he's seeing what what the organization's really like and now he's going to put the screws to the team and he's gonna or he's going to want to leave. I, 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 there's I, not really a question in there. It's just kind of a what's the vibe on Jeff Skinner? Every time I talk, every time, and and and, and I, I wrote a story about him last week, and I, it was only he and I, and I asked him, well, how much do you like Buffalo? And there's this beaming smile. It's not. It wasn't a fake smile. It wasn't a put on smile. It wasn't. You know, he's just smiling. Just it was a beaming smile. He enjoys this. I think he he enjoys being in a hockey market. I don't think he liked Carolina. By the end, he got worn down. He does like the fact that his family's a two-hour drive away as opposed to a two-hour flight away in Raleigh. Um, they can come to see his games. I think he's given up on the fact that he's going to be able to play in Toronto because the money's not there. The money is just not there. Um, so, And I also think that who's who's got money to spend in free agency? The L.A. Kings. I don't know if Jeff Skinner wants to move to L.A. I just don't. It, these are... That's part of my gut, but I also, when I see him smile, and each time I've asked him about Buffalo and its fans, I get that smile. I get a kind of a wink um, that that he really likes Buffalo and is surprised, has, has become surprised that Buffalo is this kind of a hockey community. That's my take. Should he? Should you be surprised? This is a tangent. Should you be surprised if you're in the NHL? I mean, he's he's 26. Uh, should you be surprised that Buffalo is what it is? I, it, and, and I know that that's uh, – look, I wrote a story about it back when I was covering the Sabres and I used to do the weekly um, uh, stuff for uh, the Hockey News. And the Hockey News asked me to write a story about what it's like to recruit to Buffalo, right. which is was a bit of the foundation of the story from when I wrote about the Bills having to recruit to Buffalo. And, you know – Granted, back then, this would have been 2005, 2006 that I'm writing this story before um, things got really good with Briere and Drury and, and uh, Ryan Miller and Brian Campbell and all those guys. But what hockey players knew of Buffalo, if you hadn't come by and visited, was you'd land out at Prior Aviation right. and you'd drive up the 33 and you'd see, you know, I mean, imagine when you go up the 33, take a look to your left, take a look to your right. You see a lot of rundown buildings, vacated churches. Uh, it's gritty, 
and then you'd drive downtown, get off on that Oak Street Oak Street exit. You'd make a right. Also, you're not looking at anything nope. fancy, and you go to the Hyatt, which was known as one of the worst hotels in the league. Right. But back then, Buffalo didn't have its hotel explosion like it's had here the last five well, the years. Adams there, Mark, there was no was... when the Adams Mark. Yeah, it was threadbare. You yep. know, places that were in dire need of reservation uh, renovations. There wasn't Harbor Center. There wasn't any of that. So. Anyways, that again, this is a tangent, but players were that they would in the annual anonymous poll every year. It was Edmonton, Buffalo, Long Island as the three places I don't want to play. Right. Um, so, but things have changed, obviously. Well, but and, and uh, you're coming too, down here for juniors, right. and you're coming down here for you know you. If you're playing in the league, shouldn't you get a sense of but what Sabres too, fans Carolina, are all about? But remember too, when Carolina comes to town, it's not as if. Everybody's packing the house for the for the hurricanes and Jeff Skinner. That's true. So it's like I, you know, it's it's different if Jeff Skinner sees what it's like when the Leafs are in town or, or the Canadians the, are in right. town or the Rangers or the Rangers, yeah, yeah or or Philly for that matter or Boston. But you know, no one's packing the house for Carolina. No one's packing the house That's for Florida point. or Arizona or L.A. for that matter. You know, I mean. For some reason, I think San Jose seems to draw a better crowd than than some of these other teams do. Maybe because they're good, Um, but you know, when Jeff Skinner, when when the Hurricanes and Jeff Skinner are coming to town, there's no buzz about the game, especially given that over the last however long that Jeff Skinner's been in the league, the, the the Hurricanes have never made the playoffs, and the Sabres have made the playoffs once, and that was his rookie season. All right, we have so much we can talk about with John Wara, the Associated Press. He's going to be in studio for the full show. Of course, we have UB basketball. They mm-hmm. remain in the top 25, barely. We talked about that last week, Jonah, about if they could f- win both games last week, beat Akron and Toledo, and still maybe not stay in the top 25. Now, I know that it wasn't necessarily close, but... I it, think what I predicted is what happened. That is true. That is true. You did predict it. But an interesting thing last night, the UB players and coaches referenced that. They were a little bit slighted by only being 25 in the polls, a seven seed in bracketology, and that, as they said, motivated the way they played last they night. They were playing hard. I was there, and they were up by 40, 45 points, and they were still hustling. It was pretty impressive. It's pretty easy to hustle against an opponent like Ohio, though, and that's maybe something we can get into I'd like to see them play that hard against Northern Illinois, against you know Kent State from start to finish. Not getting down early to Toledo, you know uh, they. Yeah, it's it's easy to go out there and flex your muscles again right, against I the agree. guy who's deserves to have sand kicked in his face. All right, we're gonna have local college hoops. We're gonna get into the Bills. Hey, John Worrell covers it all here. He, he's at every, he's at all the Bills games. He's at practice every day. Sadly. Yes. We got a lot of misery to talk to John Morrow about. And Mike Rodak of ESPN.com and Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises and the knob diddler extraordinaire, Bobby Rosati. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Yes, I do have mnemonic devices that the we will Tim have. The Tim Graham Show. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The hits him on the head and grinds him up, and that's how we get hamburgers. Broadcasting live. Tim Graham Show. Give me some free whiteout, though. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan.
Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270. The fan, Mike Rodak, was going to wondering if I was playing chicken with the with the intro there. <laughs> I forgot I had my headphones plugged into my laptop and not the uh, the board. <laughs> Typical Rodak. Takes 23 minutes of the show to get going. That's all right. Made a good statistical observation regarding the lightning as we were coming back. I, did. I didn't realize they were that much ahead of everybody else. 96 points in the season. That's 17 more points than any other team. Than anybody else. Not like right. just the next place team in, in the, the West. It, in the, the entire league. Calgary's next at 79. Beware of the President's Trophy curse. Yeah. I, I've never Beware bought Beware of it. Yep. Never bought it. I, I should have brought my winners. stats, but I think there's only been nine teams that have won the President's Trophy that have gone on to win the Cup. Yeah. Sabres are not one of them. <laughs> Correcto. Typical road. How many teams that didn't make the playoffs went on to win the Stanley Cup? Uh, wait a second. <laughs> In the same year? That's your question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody just pointed out today is the sixth anniversary of Lindy Ruff getting fired. Hey. Lindy Ruff. I think a lot of people would like to see Lindy Ruff come back well, now and be you're the back. coach of the Sabres. Here's the thing. I thought about this earlier today. It seems as though... Phil Housley, after calling his team soft on Friday. They went off and proved it. Multiple times. <laughs> Phil Housley's run out of cards to play. I agree. He is, he's, his deck is up. He's got nothing left. I never covered another coach other than Lindy Ruff when I covered the Sabres. He was already the coach when I took over the beat in 2001. Yep. And when I left in 2007, he was still the coach. And in all those years, and that's some bad hockey involved in there. There was the bankruptcy yep. season. There were the post Hashik seasons. Uh, in the, the between Hashik and and Ryan Miller, um, I never felt. Now he might disagree, but I never felt like Lindy Ruff was ever out of cards to play. Uh, now he totally mismanaged goalies. He had trouble with his goalies, and Dominic Hashik made life very easy for him. Right, you know, obviously, as he would any coach. Lindy Ruff always had trouble trying to figure out his goalies, the psychology of who to play, who to take out, um, hot hand, whether to divide up the, the gig, but you know, totally frittered away Mika Norinen Correct. as an asset in the NHL because he, they didn't know what to do. And, and Darcy Regeer bears some responsibility for that, too. He could have you know, made a move. But Lindy Ruff always seemed to have cards to play. And he always had the attention of the of the dressing room, even though the player. I think the players a lot of times played in fear of him, but desperately wanted to please him yes. as a father figure almost. Even though, and he wasn't too much older than them, but there was a almost like as Clint Eastwood personality that Lindy had. Like he was just kind of a badass, cool character. Didn't show a lot of love, uh, could drop the hammer on you, but did it so respectfully that you wanted to, you, he, with the exception of, I could say, Miroslav Shatan, who he lost a handful of times because Shatan wanted to be on the power play and Lindy's big, um, the, the, the punishment that he would give to Shatan was taking him off the power play to get him to do all the other things in the game that he wanted to do. But anyways, so yeah, he would lose some players here or there, but even when... The the players just always seen he he was a great button pusher, 
And that is something that I haven't seen from Phil Howes. As again, I'll say he's just as out of cards to play. And there are still, what, 19 games left in the season. Because, I mean, I, and that's the thing about Lindy. Lindy no, how about, many games are left in the season? There's about 20. 24? Yeah. 24. Yeah, they're at 58, I think. 23. They've played okay. 59 games. Okay, there They are go. 28, 24, and 7. And just for the record, at 63 points, they are 6 points out of the uh, last wild card spot. And uh, Carolina is, though, only one spot out. They are 5 points ahead of the Sabres. The Sabres tied with the Flyers at 63 points. And with a game in hand over the Flyers, oh. though. You're talking about game in hands right now. You're in trouble. I... Games in hand. <laughs> but the thing... The... And, and you're right about Lindy. I, I talked to Thomas Vanek uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe ten uh, when, when the Red Wings were in town. Name dropper. And he, there was this perception that he and Lindy did not get along, that they were oil and water. But Vanek acknowledged to me that I, he, 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 he was talking about Tortorella in Columbus and playing for Tortorella. And he said Tortorella is was a lot is a lot like Lindy. Um, and he meant that respectfully. He got the most out of me, and um, maybe he didn't treat him fairly, but he got the most out of him. Um, and there was that pushing of the buttons that you talked that you talked about, and that is one thing that I don't see from Phil. He has one message, and one message coaches don't often last long because that message wears out. You What's have- his message? Play hard, do this, do that, um, and you know, just you know, be accountable and you know, move the puck. Do you think he tells the players the same thing he tells the media? Well, see, and I, it, I, I get that question, but Lindy Ruff never told the media the same thing every day or, or, or over the course of a whole season. Lindy Ruff came prepared for the media too. That's right. He always had something, a message with either it was a veiled threat that he wanted to get into the locker room, a, a veiled threat that he wanted to get into the head of the other coach or another team. He always came prepared. He knew how to push the buttons in the media, too. That's a, that's a fact. And Phil just – what what we get from Phil often is the same thing. And I want – I, he needs to come with something better. He needs to come with something better because I, I think the how you reflect yourself in front of the media is somewhat similar to how you reflect yourself in front of the team. Well, I don't think that every coach is like that, though, and that's why I asked the question because I do think that Lindy Ruff was the same guy in front of his team that he was in the media, except with more F-bombs you know, right. to his players. You know, he, he would come out to the media and he would clean it up a little bit, but... I don't think there was ever anything that he told us that he didn't already tell his players, and all, and pretty much with the exception of the sanctity of the dressing room, some things do stay in there. But I think in terms of messaging and what he was upset about or happy with, I don't think that he told the media anything different than he told his players. So I don't think he was ever disingenuous. Now, I'm not saying Phil Housley is, but I... I kind of want him to be disingenuous on this level. If you're a Sabres fan, right? If that's, I hope I would hope that the message he's giving the players is different than what he's giving the media for all the things you just I said, agree. John. I agree. Because it's it's wishy washy. It's Casper milk toast. It's kind of raw, weak, watered down rah rah. You know, if that's the, it's all just hockey code talk, but not in any kind of. Hard, he's giving out participation trophies. Yeah, it's just right. kind of like so. I hope, I hope 
that he's a different guy to the media than he is for with the players. Now that said, I think the better option is being the same guy to the media that you are to your players and, and being transparent. But if he is, then it's not really being reflected for the most part in what players are saying. Because I, I've watched a good number of games since the Bills season ended, and I've watched the post-game show, and for some reason it's always Zach Bogosian who's talking. And like after you know they lost to – it was either the Devils game or the Panthers game where Bogosian's standing there and saying, yeah, we played hard, you know, we, we were in it for most of the game, just, you know, didn't didn't quite come through at the end. Like, it doesn't matter. You lost the game, you just lost again. And then you, they get pressed on where they where they are in the season and, and what their situation is. And the players just doesn't – it doesn't really seem to click. And I think the few times that it has was when Jack Eichel a couple weeks ago started calling people out and then Sam Reinhart – had his comments about the goaltending, and then he had to walk that back. It's like whenever there's this urgency or this this criticism coming from the locker room or the dressing room that it, it doesn't seem to be well received within there. John, you, you were there that day, right? I was not there that when because that was UB. Was that a UB basketball yeah, that was a, day? Okay. That was the Reinhardt and the Housley right. comment. I was there. I was actually I was I covered the game. I wasn't there for them walking back to comments the next day. Right. That's what I mean. Yes. So after the game, and Mike brings up a great moment of the season, I think, or a piv- what could have been a pivotal moment in the season. Reinhardt, th- uh, people are saying threw under the bus. I, I don't uh, – it wasn't that bad. But it was a player pointing out – he was pointing fingers is what he was doing, which is a big no-no in sports. At the same time, it can be productive. Right. Uh, and on the very same day, coincidentally, I don't think it was conduct. It was just the sh- showing the reflective of the frustrations on the team. Phil Housley threw the defensive situ- the defense core situation at the feet of Jason Botterill. He was asked about defensemen, and he was like, "That's Jason's job." Uh, he was asked to evaluate and the everybody said, in Rochester, but right. it's it's the way. I, I listen. I wasn't there for the press conference, but I listened back to how the the question and the answer was, and I could see how it it did confuse him, and that he was answering, he was being asked to evaluate the defenseman in Rochester, and how we walked it back the following day didn't make any sense. Um, I, I that whole thing was like just weird, but I, I you know, but. Go, 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 proceed to, 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 to it reminded but- first thing I thought, and I didn't see it a ton, I thought it would have been an easy column to write, is bickering bills. Right. You know, this was that a similar situation kind of turned the bills around. They all got together and said, all right, look, guys, this is over. Uh, Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas right. and um, the tackle who got thrown on, who did get thrown at Jim Kelly. Will Wolford, Wolford, Howard Ballard. Howard Ballard. Howard Ballard. Yeah, Howard Ballard was, you know, in the crosshairs. Uh, Jim Kelly was saying uh, that Howard Ballard wasn't any good, and then Thurman Thomas stuck up for Ballard by going after Jim. And yeah, it it got it was a story for a while. But it also, when they those guys look back on those, what made the Bills what they are? Absolutely, galvanizing moment is a perfect phrase. Well, but the thing is, though, is like everybody walks back back walks back those comments from two weeks ago. Housley calls them soft, doesn't walk it back, <laughs> yeah. and the team goes, well, I guess we are. Uh, if he thinks we're soft, we're going to play that way. There's no so, pulse. Well, that, but that's the thing. It's like they, Housley called them soft, and they proved that they're soft. Right. You that's it. You want to see that there's He's out some of cards. Of now what do you do? Reshuffle? <laughs> Shuffle up <laughs> Shuffle up, and deal again. I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, like, it, as much as – 
like I, I, I'm not saying like you're you're trying to make the point that the bickering bills are bad, but like sometimes that's good. You know, you want the you want to see that players care. Well, no, yeah, right? yeah, no, I'm, that's, I'm, that's exa- okay. I'm saying it's okay, a moment. Good. You can do something with this moment I rather was happy. than yeah. If it's I not... was a Sabres fan, I would be happy with what Sam Reinhardt did. Not walking it back, but what his original comments were. My observation at that of that night was, uh oh. Something could happen here. Not like, oh, I'm, I'm glad. Like this, it could have gone bad. It could have gotten worse. It could have imploded. So just by virtue of speaking up and pointing a finger or anything, or the perception even, you know, the Sabers maybe could have used that in any kind of way. But it, but the way that they did it was to diffuse it, neutralize it. Which, from a PR standpoint, great. That probably is good for a PR standpoint. But it, it the team. Uh, well, and, and maybe they, they tippy toed around the whole deal, and it's like okay, well, it's which is done. what soft people do. Th- that's exactly it. It's like it wasn't galvanizing. No one rallied to the cause and said, "Okay, come on, this thing is over. Let's 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 move forward and let's go." They did win the next game, True. and they they did play three very good defensive games, including the Winnipeg loss three to one. Though I had a friend of mine. Um, text me and, and asked me what I thought of, of the Sabres after that three-game stretch in which they lost, they won two games 3-1 and lost lost the 3-1 to Winnipeg. I said, if they continue to play like this, they are going to make the playoffs. Well, what happened? 6-2, Rangers, see you later, and the collapse has begun. Well, it, there's we see this with the Bills sometimes, too, where it's just it's a retreat to everything is fine. We're on track. Everything's all right. You hear it in a broadcast. I think it was early. It might have been the Rangers game. Last week, where Rob Ray is talking about, yeah, Jason Botterill thinks this team and a lot of the young players are developing and veterans are contributing and they're on the right track. And then I was watching, I think it was the second period, and they had just an awful power play. I think the puck was in their own zone three quarters of the two minutes. And the power play ends, and then they throw a graphic on the screen on the MSG broadcast that the Sabres have the third fewest penalties in the the NHL. Why the hell do I care? Their power play sucks. (laughs) Like, I don't care how few penalties they have. Like, there's just no – there's a break with reality sometimes with, like, the you got, team seeing itself and how people see the team. Got 18 guys trying to win win the Lady Bing, which all – yeah. The, well, except, the third, for Kyle, except for poor Kyle Poso. Well, we can get into that. We'll get and into that after the break. I know. But, but that's, a, that's a longer discussion. But, yeah, so the third fewest penalties – Great. For a football team, that's good. For a hockey, there's a reason penalty minutes is a column and, and is and is judged. You know, you do want to show some aggressiveness, right? There is no sand on this team. There is nothing that just like sand. The, that's yeah, a good hockey word. It just came. Is it, but it, no the sand. word came, but there is no. That's there is, right. There like isn't it. any. There isn't somebody, some, some divisive force who is actually going to spearhead this team forward. They don't have that guy. They do not have that guy. Is that John, I'm, you think think, that's, I'm just thinking of some acquiring somebody by trade but who just that, comes sauntering in there and says, "You li- listen well, up, you mfers." Right, but you've got Ryan O'Reilly who says, "Ryan O'Reilly who says, you know, a losing culture, you know, got into this locker room and, and all the Sabers after the after the season's over last year going, yeah, pretty much." Yeah, Ryan O'Reilly's losing culture has led to Blues so eleven right, straight no, wins I, right I, now. No, I, I agree, but right. it's like it's like it's it's everybody needs to have this come by a moment okay. after every mm-hmm. after anything divisive happens in, in Sabres right. land yeah, that's because that's that's the way we get the reset. Yes, I, I agree. Well, I, would, I just want to ask John: Do you think that was by design? Is that something that they built the team with a certain uh, 
personality, chemistry in mind, or do you think Jason Bottrell knows that they need guys like that? And more I, sand they on the they need more guys. They need Chris Drury, who despised losing and didn't really like talking to the media. But when he talked to the media, you knew he was unhappy about something that happened. Danny Breer was one of the most competitive SOBs I've covered because, you know, he was counted out five, eight, was he, Danny? No, no, no. He was five. He was probably about five, six. Five, six. six. Yeah. You know, couldn't play, got, you know, kicked out of Phoenix or, or whatever. And um, but, but those two guys had a drive. I don't see where the drive is here on this team. Who is driving this the, who who is who is driving this team? I don't know. I don't hear that voice. Everybody's sticking up for each other because that's what they do, and because it's it's desperation time. And there's a lot of games left left in the season, but we're a fragile team. Somebody sh- yeah. somebody should have stuck up for Kyle Ocposo. <laughs> yep. We're going to talk about that when we come back here on the Tim Graham Show with John Warrow of the Associated Press, along with Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. By the way, Jonah Bronstein, who handles the video, I didn't make. Uh, remind everybody uh, you can see periscope uh video feed of this show yeah. and all previous tim graham shows uh by uh, checking out our twitters i'm at by tim graham that's a by i always have to point that out and uh jonah bronstein is lebronstein so uh check out a video feed there of all of our beaming faces bobby Rosati uh taking us to break here on the tim graham show sports radio 1270 the fan Crave to 246810. Crave to 246810. The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I really hear voices in my head. Yes, we all hear voices in our head. I can hear the voices in my head again. Sports Sports Radio 1270, 1270. The Fan. And on the Fans app. Free to download in the App Store. Now back to the Tim Graham Show. Underrated Beatles tune here, man. It's a great song. And you never hear it on the radio. Because there are so many other, you know, peppy Beatles songs that the classic stations will play. What's that? 97 Rock. Oh, yeah. Well, they'll tell you you they only play a certain amount of songs anyway. But, yeah, this song is just (laughs) unbelievable. I'm blinking. That's odd. That's unlike you. I know, right? Across the universe. Never saw it's it. It's a musical movie based on Beatles songs. Uh, it's a poor representation of Beatles music. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Is this that new movie where the guy, he's the only one that remembers the Beatles songs? Anybody see that trailer? Uh, no, it's from 2007. We really? watched it in high school. Is that a thing? Yeah, I just saw that it. I, got, I think awesome. it, I think it's coming out later. But Was yeah, it like this a guy, sci-fi thing or something? Wait, Sorta. you guys missed it when he just slid in there. He said, it's from two, 2007. I watched it in high school. I was waiting for a reaction. There was none. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> got that one through. 2007, one of Mike's favorite Patriots seasons. You know yeah, better? It was a good actually, year. that was a great season in, in Boston sports in general. The Red Sox won the World Series in that fall. Patriots went 16-0. and And then that spring, the uh, Celtics won the NBA title. How did that 16 team finish? They lost to oh, the right. Giants in the thought. Super Bowl, and then the Celtics won the <laughs> yeah, NBA Finals all. that year. What a guy. And Mike kissed well, no, his I first girl. Yeah. You know, he went to an all-boy school. 
<laughs> so Leon called in during the break. Sure did. And what was the question, Bobby? I don't want to misrepresent. It was more of a comment, but he wanted your all of your take on what you think of Kim Pagula as president. He does not think she's, uh, he didn't say fit, but he doesn't like her as the president of the Buffalo Sabres currently. I don't know why specifically, but he wondered what you guys thought of that. Well, my general response to that is I think that your president doesn't really matter because the title can mean so many different things. It's who's in charge of the hockey operations. Now, in some organizations, the president is. In some organizations, it stops at the general manager. Uh, there are some organizations that have a somebody who's below the general manager who ha, who will run things. Right. So it's so Kim Pagula. It's an advisory thing. I do believe I'm comfortable in saying that. Uh, and it is a stabilizer because of what happened with Russ Brandon, right. and they had to have okay. a stabilizing influence to get them through that situation. And mm-hmm. I think that Kim Pagula as president, if it weren't Kim Pagula as president, it would just be Terry Pagula as president, or you right. know, it would be somebody else probably with no hockey background. How so, many how many other franchises have ownership in that president role, and is that uh, an issue? Because in a lot of sports, that that can be a problem. Sure. Well, you take a look at the Dallas Cowboys, where Jerry Jones is the general manager. Daniel Snyder. Yeah, there are. I think it's probably in the role of 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 operations of whether it be football operations, hockey operations. You mean like that, Jonah? Yeah. Well, just in general, like as president, I think it's probably fairly common that the owner is the president or the owner's son. You know, I don't know what Ralph. Ralph was president until he gave it up to Russ Brandon. Yes. Tom Donahoe was briefly. Yes. But yeah, what what about with the crafts? What's uh, Jonathan Kraft. Jonathan Kraft is the president, right? Yep. So yeah, it's usually oh, a, okay. a it's a nepotism. It's an overseer's role, and Kim Pagula is not making trades. She's not she's not fielding calls from the Rangers saying, right. "Hey, you know, right. we got Hayes available here." And nor was Russ Brandon, and nor was Ted Black, and nor was Larry Quinn. I mean, it, it, things haven't really changed. Since I don't Ted know. Black. Larry Quinn was a bit of a meddler. Larry, Larry Quinn was involved. Very much involved. Yeah. Point being, it's not as if changing presidents has changed the outcome of the Sabers. In well, the last in, in, eight Kim, years, in, in Kim's defense, I'm, and and she's repeated this. She's probably I'm not sure if she's told you this, but she's told me this a few times. Is that at the time when Russ Brandon was fired or stepped down for whatever, um, he resigned to uh, resi- uh, pursue other opportunities, which he'd been no, looking none at of, for quite some time. He's still pursuing. Um, none, um, none of which have. Panned out, and, apparently. Oh, one well, of them the new did. era, almost. <laughs> new, era. new era, he was almost there. It hasn't been a good few months for New Era. No, PR. it hasn't. No, not at all. No, no. They could use a new president. <laughs> but the to get back to my point, it's like... The, the Derby the, plant would be open if uh, Russ Brandon hadn't been foiled. <laughs> well, the bio. Oh, I, I guess. Or all the, all, the, all, all the money it took to hook up the phone lines in the office for Russ. It's like that was it. It's like that. It was either poke up the phone lines or keep the derby plant open. I am. I've heard so many tales of how quickly he lost his office. That that story ran. I wrote the story for the Athletic, in which I needed confirmation, and I called Chris Cook, and he said no comment, hung up on me. Chris Cook, being the I don't know what his title is, CEO or president or whatever he is of New Era. But I had it on pretty good authority that Russ Brandon had got a job there. And I'm thinking, well, how can I get this confirmed? I called Russ himself, and he wasn't talking. And 
And so I called the company directory. And uh, if you go to my SoundCloud page, in fact, it's still there. I have it saved. If you, you go down uh, for the, uh, the Tim Graham show podcasts, the very first thing I ever posted was the audio of the, the Russ Brandon, you know, cannot take your call right now. Please leave a message. You should have that in the Donald Trump, uh, Jeff Brandon phone call. Oh, we could do that. Yeah, I could put my Donald Trump interviews up there. Should be everywhere. Should be in the Hall of Fame somewhere. And uh, the next day, uh, there had been an office. An office was set up for him. I called the number at 11 o'clock that that morning. Well, not just the phone. Like, you can have a phone, you can have a voicemail sitting, you know, nowhere. There's no phone even. You know, it doesn't have to be an office. But he had an actual office that was set up. And the office was gone. Like people showed up to work the next day, and the office did not exist anymore. Like uh, it's like, <laughs> it's like a studio, a Hollywood studio. Gone, these so. are not these are not the droids you're looking for. The office, not the not the whole building. <laughs> Where did the office go? Was it just well the walls taken down? <clears throat> no, it was probably it was empty again. Oh, I thought you meant the office itself was gone. That would be pretty yeah. impressive. A construction project. But to get back to my point, you know, Kim Kim told me at the time because everything. That that both franchises had gone through so much, so much changeover with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, with coming in with the Bills and with um, uh, Jason Botterill and Phil Housley coming in with the Sabers, that she didn't want to have to put a new level of uh, executive above these people. That at least they were comfortable with her, and she would allow them to run the operations. I don't think Kim Bagula is is fielding trade calls. She's not, you know, she's not. Saying who the Bills are going to be drafting, um, or telling Sean McDermott what to do on third down, um, whatever. Um, I, I, I just don't. I think at some point when Kim Pagula is comfortable and she's comfortable with the executives that she has at both the Sabers and the Bills, that she will. That somebody else is going to take over that role. I'm a New Yorker, and it's a lot easier. I love Buffalo. It's an, over, been- it's an overseer's role. I, she she has said I will step down from this when I feel. I need to. I don't know why she would have to. I mean, what? how are you going to take it to the next level unless she's just – it's one of those situations where she feels like she has to be in Orchard Park or in uh, at the Creamery Building downtown where their offices are. Not anymore. And uh, – oh, where they is it? They haven't moved into Labatt House yet, I don't think. I'm sorry. I'm a human speed bump. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I – I, she she's still gonna have. But that if role. she wants she's, to be she's, down she's, in Boca Raton and not in Western New York, then yeah, maybe she gives it to somebody else. But right. they did buy a house up here though last year. Interesting. Did you know that? I did know that. Oh. <laughs> well, now everybody knows. Let's uh, in the couple of minutes that we have here, let's talk a little bit about UB basketball. Hmm. We'll okay. talk about Calac Poso after the break. So, UB Basketball, what did you make of their blowout victory over Ohio last night? It was an easy win. They were supposed to win. They were, I think, favored by 18. 19. They were favored by 18 and a half, I think I saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they won by 47. And, you know, the point you made earlier, it's a valid point. Ohio has lost six in a row. They're, I think, the second worst team in the MAC by record. So, you're supposed to win that game. You're supposed to win it comfortably, but... I think there's a difference between winning by 18, 19, 20 points and 47. Not just maybe Ohio, I don't want to say they quit, but not playing so hard in the second half. But to score 114 points, to be as efficient as they were on offense 
and also still playing good defense. And, and really until the last minute and a half, UB didn't let their foot off the gas pedal. I was as impressed with them last night. I don't know how you can't set a record with 114 points against a Division One team, so it's not much of a hot take to say I was impressed. But all year long I've watched games where they won and they played well, but they didn't shoot it great. And you think, well, what's this team's ceiling when they make shots? We kind of saw that last night. They're not going to score 114 points and shoot 58% from three in the NCAA tournament against a really good team. But as we saw last year against Arizona, when they make shots, they're about as good as they can get. They are a legit top 20, top 25 team in the country when they're making threes. They can shoot. When they, not always. They're streaky. And foul shooting has been an issue for them. Oh, my Sometimes gosh. Sometimes they're inconsistent late in the game with their foul shooting. Three-point shooting has been very streaky throughout the year. I, I'm i curious to see how they build off this. I'll be covering the game Friday night against, and uh, pardon me, I can't remember who they're playing. Kent State. Kent State. I'm curious to see how they build off of this. And because good basketball, college basketball teams start going on an upward trend at this point of the season, and I'm curious to see where this takes them. Um too often, especially after the Toledo, I covered the Toledo game. They won by 30 the early in the season, and then they went into a funk. Um, so I'm see, I, I, I want to see how this team responds. That And that's what Nate Oates said. They came out of winning two tough road games by six points to stay in the rankings, stay atop the mat, kind of keep this momentum going. And he's, they weren't satisfied. They, they only stayed at number 25 in the polls. They didn't like where they were in the bracketology for whatever whatever that's worth. And they came out specifically not to set the scoring record, but to dominate and start winning games by 20, 30 plus. That helps their net efficiency rankings, and they think that's going to get them. They really want a higher seed to be able to get to the second week of the tournament, make a run, avoid a, having to face a number one seed or number two seed in the second round. And they're really they're running up the score on teams, but pushing for that. They're different ways that teams get motivated and if losing a game wasn't enough or if apparently it wasn't because they slept sleepwalked slept 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 walk slept walk or sleepwalk slept well. sleepwalked maybe it's like flied out you know like in baseball you i i think flew you out should, no flied out flied it's out. actually in the dictionary yeah, believe flowed. it or not really as a baseball term flied out so flowed, do you sleep flowed. sleepwalked well we'll look this up we'll get i think it's sleepwalked so they 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 slept <laughs> wet. They slept what? Slept slapped what? Uh, slept slap dick. But I'm ours, not sure. RSBI. <laughs> I don't slap know what, what what game do you think they sleepwalked through. I, I don't know if they really. I'm had talking a game about like that. a few weeks ago. I'm I'm not talking about relatively recently. But they had a we know they lost at Northern Illinois. Right. They had a couple you know those losses and they didn't seem to get sparked by. I thought that the loss at Northern Illinois would snap them to attention and. They didn't seem to put full 40 minutes together uh, right after that. I thought it would. But it seems as though being, at least in their minds, thinking they're getting snubbed in the rankings might be the thing that motivates them to finally put it all together. Because it's it's almost as though they were acting like, we got this. Uh, we got plenty of time. We're gonna, we can relax here during the mid part of the season. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, it's just a, a vibe I got. I don't say you're wrong, but I don't agree. I, I think that they've had games where they didn't shoot the ball well. They've had lulls within games. I think you could say maybe they've had eight to ten minute stretches in the beginning or at certain points in games where maybe they were sleepwalking. But I think because of the veterans on this team, because of how hard some of their leaders play and their guards play. You know, Dante Carruthers hasn't slept walk through a possession in his whole career. 
they have players that play hard, and that's why their record is so good because there's games when they're miss, missing shots and they've made up for it with their intensity on defense in transition, uh, the relentless way some of their players play off the bench. And, you know, so there's two losses. They lost by two at Northern Illinois. They lost by four at Bowling Green. They scored 75 points at Northern Illinois, 88 at Bowling Green. Those right. aren't bad performances. True. They lost Bowling those Green games. was the other game I was thinking Yeah, of. the other two teams outplayed them, but – and I think specifically the Bowling Green game, they let down on defense in the second half. But they haven't had a stinker really all game long. Second half at Marquette's about the closest thing you could say to that. First half against in, in the in the game that was delayed by the blackout. Um, Actually, I wasn't there at that game. I was snowed in my house. Um, that was a horrible. You were stoned in your they, house? They, they, no, they, <laughs> snowed in my house, Michael. Oh, okay. They won by 20, but that was a yeah. atrocious game. That's true. And, They've but, had but slow their, starts. Their inability yeah. to get to be consistent for – Stretches that are a little bit disturbing, that, that that go on for a little bit too long, did concern me over the past month. It, it, their streak shooting is what could cost them a game in the MAC tournament or the NCAA tournament. As good as they are, they could be a five seed, go up against a twelve seed, shoot less than twenty percent from three, and lose that game. And there's no deep run when you lose the first game. But I don't <laughs> think that's a flaw in the team. It's just. That that's how they're going to lose is a game where they're not making shots and the other team. That's is how they too lost good. to Kentucky last year. And yeah, and the other team is too good for them to overcome that with just hustle and heart. But I think that their hustle and heart has really been the story of their season is that they've been able to shooting hasn't really affected how well they played on a lot of nights. Well, we talk about the Sabers taking nah. on the personality of their coach, and the Bulls certainly do with Nate Oates because. I mean, Jim Kelly actually said it to the team last night. He spoke to them in the locker room. He said, your coach might have ran out there more than you guys did. And even late in the second half, he was running down refs about missed calls, and they were up by 45 points. So I think they take on the personality of their head coach. And sorry, Tim, for going over the break. That's a good point. And though, another Mike. thing, sleepwalked. <laughs> Merriam-Webster Dictionary says that the past tense of sleepwalk is sleepwalked. But – Another dictionary, the uh, prestigious yourdictionary.com, says a rare and non-standard form is sleptwalk. It's pronounced urban dictionary. Your dictionary. <laughs> but I was not on More Sabres talk and what to make of Kyle Ocposo and his fight, his health, and uh, the lack of response from his teammates when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270TheFan. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. Uh-oh. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here on Sports Radio 1270 Fan. I have a show every Wednesday from 4 to 6 on the PM. Here with my co-host Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein is videographing, videographing. Somebody slept walked. 
Live camming. He's live camming on Periscope. This and all previous Tim Graham shows can be seen. Uh, just check out Twitter. At by Tim Graham. I have retweeted LeBron Steen, who uh, has the video feed. And if you do check out the video feed, you will see John Warrow's beaming face. John Warrow of the Associated Press. He's been in here in studio with us the entire program and will stay as such as we talk about the Sabres, get into all the different aspects of Saberdom as they march down the home stretch, not in a straight line. It's it's like well right now staggering down Allen Street after a, a night at the Pink that it, they are not in a straight line. It is veering to and fro, uh, not looking too good. They might not make it. They might not make it home. John, just a recap for people who are just getting in their cars and tuning in. Where where do you as a, someone who covers the Sabers so closely? Where do you put their chances at the playoffs? Does it matter if they make the playoffs? Is it uh, is the season success? Can the season be successful without the postseason? They need to get to eighty five points, which is what the expectation was before the start of the season. Take away that whole ten game win streak, which really skewed perspective. Um, they weren't they weren't blowing teams out during that ten game win streak, and I think the bounces that they got during that streak. Um, have now caught up to them in the other way. And um, the immaturity, the lack of talent, um, the lack of depth of talent is starting to show through. 85 points was where I I pegged them when the season began. They need to get to 85, uh, which means winning 10 more games. And they've got 23 left. Can they do it? I don't know. Should it be disconcerting that they haven't been able to hold on to a lead? They were in first place in the National Hockey League at the time of the 10-game win streak. For 12 hours, or 24 hours. (laughs) Now, granted, that wasn't expected when the season began, but once they are in that position, that their leadership, whether it be Phil Housley or Jason Botterill or Jack Eichel, everybody wanted him to be the captain, even though he is young and going through this for the first time, uh, the veterans on the team, uh, should they have been able to hold on to this better? The one thing that this... I'm... That's a tough question to answer in some ways, but the one thing that – I'll answer it this way. The one thing that, this, uh, that, that concerns me is how this team hasn't won back-to-back games since December 11th to the 13th. That is a disturbing that's – what, that's, what, two months now. Um, they won 10 games during the streak. They've won 11 since. Um, I don't know how they fell off the cliff. I, I don't get into the, all the analytics and all that stuff, but something something went wrong, um, and it's it's as if I don't I don't know how you, how you get it back. I, they were saying all the right things during the streak. I will tell you this: they weren't getting wrapped up in it as if like they had just arrived. They were taking this game at a time approach, which I actually credit them for, um, but it just fell apart. Should they be buyers or sellers? As we approach the deadline, 
I think Jason Botterill is looking for a hockey deal, and that's going to be tough to come up with at the trade deadline. That's more of an off-season thing. Well, what do um, you mean by a hockey deal? A hockey <laughs> deal hockey is deals. He, Jason Botterill is going to want somebody with at least a year left on his contract. This is not a team that, that needs a rental at this point. Um, Understood. Uh, maybe even two years left on his contract, but it's got to be the right guy. Uh, can he trade Nathan Beaulieu for a fourth round, a fifth round, a sixth round draft pick? Perhaps, but I don't know what the market is on Nathan, given that he's played one game in the past you know, two, three, four weeks. Um, who else do you trade? Jason Pominville is an asset, perhaps, to another team. I'm not sure what you can get for him, maybe a draft pick, but I don't know if you're going to get any big return at the trade deadline for, for what Jason Bottrell wants and this team needs. Could how much could gunning for the postseason set the team back if you get wrapped up into that? Like you said, you don't think Jason uh, Bottrell will uh, that he is keeping the same type of mentality that he did before the season began, master plan, the whole thing. But there are a lot of fans who are going to be devastated. Well, devastated is maybe a little bit of a stretch, but are going to be very upset if the Sabres don't make the playoffs after that 10-game win streak, tantalized them, teased them. They are going to feel jilted. They're going to have uh, blue pucks, if uh, you'll allow me. (laughs) Yep. Uh, You're just mad. You didn't think of it. So if the Sabres leave their fans with blue pucks... Uh, who's to blame, or who's who has a right to be upset about it? Well, I, I look at it this way: I, I credit Brandon Bean for making the Calvin Benjamin trade to try to spur that team because they they thought that they were in playoff. They, they had a team that had a, the potential of winning nine games and sneaking into the playoffs. He didn't do the same moves last year, knowing that this team was in a rebuilding mode and was probably going to win six games. I think Bottrell's at the same point. If you've decided that this isn't a playoff team, do you sacrifice a fr- one of the three first-round picks you may have in the draft this year for a rental, for a guy from, for maybe one of the Ottawa guys who are going to be available, for a guy that's going to play, you know, two twenty games for you. Hey, let's face it though, John, we've I, seen it, we've I covered it. it, we've covered teams that have done it where they'll make a trade to appease the fans, right? Even though it's like, all right, this will keep well, the, the fans Bob happy. Corkum Bob Corkum Bob is a Corkum. great example of that. We'll keep this team. We'll we'll. We're going to make a trade that really doesn't affect our team one way or the other, but at least we can say we did something. What I I thought we we were past the marketing phase of uh, of of selling tickets with Russ Brandon's um, departure. Okay, granted, granted. I selling tickets, not that, but you're they're, They need they're selling their organization almost on a game by game basis, and it's been going on for a few years now. Right, they I get know that. that every game is a brick in the wall, one way or the other, and they do. I think they they are cognizant of their brand as to what are what are we in this community? What do the fans think of us? So I don't necessarily. I don't know that they're wrapped up in actually selling tickets. Right. Yes, they would love to sell tickets. But what I'm saying is they're still trying to project to the fans what they want to be. Or maybe they're still trying to figure out what they're trying to be. And can you go into an off season with the fans confused as to what we are or not, or feeling still cast adrift? I, I think they've not explained themselves properly. 
is I think the messaging as isn't there. And I go back to comparing this this team with the Bills of last I season. I think the Bills have been have been have done a magnificent job of tempering expectations from their fans. I thought Sean McDermott, he said it as, you know, the the culture of this team or the long-term vision of this team is more important than 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 what what happens this week. I've said it on the show, right. I don't know how many times. I think one of the most important things a team can do as an organization can do is maintain expectations, uh, the fans' expectations, and we've not seen that from the Sabers. Manage them, right. I should say. No, but we've not seen that from the Sabers. It was, it's, it's they've. I don't know if the the ten game winning streak took them by surprise, but no one's out there saying, "Look, this is still a long term rebuild. We're here at this point. We're not giving up a major asset just so we can win three more games in March." You know, we're not hearing this stuff. Um, we're not hearing why. Um, Olafson is not being brought up. Why some of these guys who maybe deserve to be brought up from from, from the Amherst aren't being brought up to help, you know, bail some water on this team. You know, if if they explain it to us, and explain it to us truthfully, I think I think I think fans would get it and appreciate where this team's at a lot more instead of what this has led to. What this whole thing has led to is people speculating as to, and, and and pointing fingers because there, there's a vacuum for answers. And I know that Phil Housley speaks pretty much every day, uh, as Sean McDermott does, but Brandon Bean is maybe the most accessible general manager in the entire National Football League. Jason Bottrell, how often do we hear from him, John? You would know better than me. I mean, I, I follow along with it, but you're down there at the arena. He's not accessible often, but I've I have had a chance to speak to him Privately during games, before sure you see games. him out. You see him at but the arena over the past. But two in terms weeks, of news conferences or no. interviews and just on the record type stuff, for the past two weeks I've not seen Jason. I've uh, you know uh, or heard from him until we, uh, we 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 got this update today. But but Brandon now, now, doesn't. Should, Jason Bottrell today, the uh, Sabres general manager, spoke down in uh, Tampa today to the media who travel with the team, and really as a response, and it wasn't. Uh, expressed as such but we can read between the lines is because things have gotten so bad and people are wondering if Phil Housley is uh how how much long he has to ha- uh, how much longer he has as the Sabres head coach and Jason Bottrell I don't know if I believe him or not but professing as though he had no idea that the fans want Phil Housley fired uh to one particular line of questioning but in his own way <laughs> ex- Letting the fans know that that is not in the plans that right. Jay, that uh, Phil Housley will remain the head coach. Well, I, and and I think you know, this, a lot of hockey teams are like this. A lot of football teams are like this. They need to be more proactive in their messaging. I I would have preferred for Jason Bottle to speak perhaps during, before or after the, the the their their bye week break, just to give a lay of the land of where this team's at. No, maybe we're not as good. Had he said maybe we're not as good as that ten-game win streak, but we're building forward, it would have it would have diffused a lot of the tension in to which we're at the point where he has to be confronted with the "Is Phil Housley still your coach?" question, yeah. and that's we've gone way too far down the road to get to this point without without hearing from him earlier. All right, we come back. I know I've uh, teased it a couple of times. We keep getting sidetracked, but I do want to get into Kyle Ocposo's situation, his uh, current status. Uh, right now he is uh, sidelined with a concussion, and uh, for those who are familiar 
uh, with the story I wrote about uh, Kyle Ocposo, uh, a concussion for him is not the same as a concussion for anyone else uh, or for most, and it's uh, it can be terrifying. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about his uh, future uh, as a hockey player. We'll talk about uh, whether or not he ever should have been in a situation to be in a fight and uh, whether his teammates uh, should have maybe done something about it. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. You're a young athlete. You're brimming with confidence. You're, I don't know if you're single or not. Are you single? On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. And on the Fans app. Free to download in the App Store. That uh, he believes helped him and he was able to recover. Uh, had a uh, essentially a full season last season. Uh, came into this year feeling totally energized and renewed and played as such. Right. Now, the production hasn't been there, and fans are have been frustrated with Kyle Poso because he's not scoring goals. Uh, but he's playing with energy, and he's doing what he needs to do. He's, he, the effort is there. There's no uh, – uh, he's not timid He's at engaged. All. Absolutely. And so when we hear that Kyle Poso has another concussion – we flash back to those two years ago when he was in ICU and wondering if he was uh, ever going to live a normal life again, let alone play hockey. Right. Uh, and so this opens up all sorts of questions. Should Kyle Ocposo have been allowed to be in a situation to fight? It was one punch to the jaw, knocked him right out, wobbled his knees immediately. Uh, Tony D'Angelo uh, seemed to try to protect Kyle Ocposo from hitting his head on the ice, although I'm not sh- I'm not sure if that was totally in D'Angelo's mind or if he knew or was fully aware of Kyle Ocposo's history. Um, but everybody in the arena sure seemed to be, yep. and there were gasps and a lot of silence as he immediately, uh, although he didn't seem to know where he was, an official uh, steered him towards the bench. He talks to medical personnel and then disappeared down the tunnel into the dressing room and leaving us to wonder how Kyle Ocposo's doing, and we haven't heard from him since. So... I mean, there are so many different things to talk about. Fighting in hockey. The code of hockey. Uh, should somebody have jumped in there and helped Kyle Ocposo? Could they have really? Um, would Kyle Ocposo... If somebody had jumped in there to save Kyle Ocposo, Kyle, Kyle would probably be pissed off about it. Because he's out there and he's playing, and he and his family right. believe, and probably still... Well, I don't know. Because you know I have reached out to the family, and I'll, I'll keep it... Uh, where I'll keep it right there because it's private conversations that I don't, you know, I don't want to, um, you know, disclose. I mean, that that's, uh, I was reaching out as a human being, uh, not as a reporter. So the family has always been confident that Kyle has under, had that scare. Right. They figured it out. And if it ever happens again, a plan is in place to handle it. Now he has had a concussion in the interim. Yes. He had a concussion. He missed three games. Yes, it was a it was an accidental accidental collision, mid ice collision with Bobby Ryan against uh, the Senators. Right, in last and March. he came through okay. Missed it three was games. it was considered a typical concussion recovery, which only bolstered the Ocposo's belief that we have a handle on this. 
so getting into a fight to him, I'm guessing, is just the same as going into the corner, mucking it up in sure. the corner, or taking a hit around uh, when you're in front of the net, you know, going after a loose puck. So, anyways, John, you were there that night. You've done, uh, you've talked to people at least since the hit. I have not, uh, you know, talking about the Sabre people at the. Um, the Sabres left, know. so I've not talked to the Sabres. I, I know what they've said. Um, you know, the Sabres, that said, one unusual right, well, thing. Well, then let's not talk about that. We, we know all we know about in terms of right. what, what has been said on the record. What about this, the whole, the philosophy of, you know, the older I get, the more, the more fighting disgusts me. Because I don't view it as part of the game. To me, and yeah, it was a cool thing when I was in my 20s as, hey, take a look at these guys wailing on each other. But really, is it part of the game? And people say, of course it is. It's it's part of the game since the dawn of uh, you know ice skates and, and sticks. Uh, but, I mean, isn't this tantamount to after a foul, a hard foul in an NBA game, everybody grabs a bunch of basketballs and starts playing dodgeball? All right, right t- dodgeball time for 30 seconds, and they just start whipping dodgeballs. Yeah, and just back this, to the basketball this game. This was a hockey fight. This was yeah. this was one made out of frustration. Right, it was, there was a and purpose it was D'Angelo it. was sticking up for Mats because Kyle kind of boarded Zuccarello, and there was this, this collision along the boards. And the one thing that stands out, and I've seen enough hockey. I've been covering the NHL since 94, 93. I've seen enough hockey fights, and I've not seen somebody get in, in Kyle get tagged like that. That was he was out of his element. He didn't see that punch coming, and I'm not I'm not saying, but this was one of those things that just happened, and I don't think there was anything that was going to stop it. I okay, I agree with that. But when I see something like this. Regardless of Kyle Ocposo's injury history, it is a reminder of well, why do you, why is this part of the game? Yeah, I understand. You say it's a hockey fight. It was in, it wasn't a stage deal. It wasn't Tony Twist versus Rob Ray. It was not okay. I'm sending my goon out there to fight your goon. This was two guys who play with an edge and aren't fighters or enforcers, and they squared off. Because but all right, any other sport that happens. The officials jump right. right in there. It's not, okay, boys, let's see what happens. I see your point. It's tie these guys up, you're going to the penalty box, or you're getting ejected right. or whatever. I mean, it's not allowed. Whereas in hockey, it's two guys square off and everybody spreads out to give them room. All right, go. Let's Yeah, let's see who kicks the other guy's ass. And fans love it. It's well, yeah, gladiatorial. That's, but that's, yeah, that's the culture that's been established. And I get what you're saying, Tim, so safety-wise. But... <laughs> It's mostly been changed. Sorry. Right. It has For, been no, a lot. You're, you're right. It really has. The problem I have with it is not the criticism of the of the actual fighting. It's we still have MMA and boxing. So I, I don't want to hear about I, I get it. That's part of the thing. But then don't do that. Don't tell me fighting in hockey is dangerous when you can wail on some dude's head. So legally. then we're saying to our kids, if you want to grow up to be a hockey player, you also have to grow up to be an MMA player. You also have to fight. I'm with boxer, Mike on and this. That's part of it. And I had a conversation <clears throat> with a, a parent of a, a hockey player who plays at a high level. It was via text, but the, the gist was the older my son gets and the more he commits to playing hockey and gets up into levels where you have fighting. You know, we're not talking about the, you know, youth league where you're getting up into, you know, leagues where guys are considering getting paid to do this someday. 
and you have fighting, it, the more ridiculous it is. I mean, we're putting hard time and training and money into all this, and then somebody's going to go isn't, punch my kid in the head. And well, isn't that? But that isn't that what I, I was? Isn't that the point of boxing and, and fighting in the right, UFC? But, I think but you're people, getting into boxing. Right. I'm becoming a boxer. I, under, right. I understand that, but the, like you said, we're cha- you, why don't we change it? What? Why? Well, if we don't just ha- change hockey, I don't right, say you have right, to outlaw right, boxing and UFC. Been, right, but it's already been part of the game, is what I'm saying. So if we have to change that, then I don't want to see MMA anymore. No, Do you I, get what I think, I'm saying. I think I, I'm not both saying can be it's, separate. I, I think you can say people who are in MMA or are in boxing. They're in it on their own volition. Like they're in it because they want to do so that. So is any sport. But in hockey, you've there's always been I, a thing. There's always been a grinder in a fight. Play football, or a seven year old wants to play basketball or hockey. Like I shouldn't have to commit myself. Okay, if I want to play this sport at a decent level, I'm gonna have to put the risk out that I need to fight somebody. You don't because that's why you had guys like Rob Ray. That that's what I'm saying is that there's a part of the game that has been taken out. And, and, and they See, have, but it's still have, like like Kyle. All right, so let me I've, just make this. This is a point that I haven't thought of, but it just pops into my head. I mean, that's almost like yeah, you have Rob Ray. It's like all right, well, if you're going to have one of, the, it's like arming everybody. That's let's what arm it, the that's teacher. What, that's right. what let's arm the teacher. It was show fighting. They, they called it show fighting. Yeah, this other guy's got a gun, so now yeah. we got to arm somebody on our team with a gun. But those guys are gone. I mean, right. John Scott may have been one of the among the last players to to, to have right. held that role. All that said is. What happens, and and you know the the code of hockey and all this stuff, but let's go back to what happened to Ryan Miller uh, when he got knocked over by Milan Lucic, right, a, a couple of years back, or you know what was, it? and people called the Sabres soft for not going after going after Lucic after that hit. Should there have been a fight Do you there? Want to get on right now, man? Well, there's the culture that people have, and I tweeted this yesterday after the Sabres announced this concussion. I said it was medieval. That there is a tradition in hockey, and of course the response on Twitter is, you know, all right, we get it, soy boy. <laughs> soy boy. And then somebody else says, stick to football. <laughs> somebody else says, you're a clown. We all can't fight with our words, Michael. Well, yeah. Besides, well, the funny thing and, is, I've, the I've seen and there's some other fight. things. I've seen two fights in the last four months. Yeah. One Leonard Fournette. Yeah. One on a football field, and one, and, and and this one. Those are the two fights I've seen. So I've seen as many fights in football as I have in hockey. Mm-hmm. Shut up, p-word. Somebody else said you also sit when you pee and wipe ass to balls. <laughs> so you have, so Dude. you have poopy balls all day long. This is what a fan said to me. Dude, but it's also like this. I mean, not to even mention the fact that there's a a sexist element to that tweet. But it's you're just not denying this, any of it either. <laughs> it's. <laughs> This culture and it it permeates some levels of the fan base as well. They're all clapping and drinking their ten dollar beers and watching these fights. But just to add some nuance to what Tim started this with, and saying everybody knows Kyle's history and should somebody have stepped in or should Kyle not have engaged or you know the fans all knew and, and they gasped. But like we wouldn't know that about Kyle to the extent that we do if it wasn't for your story. And there's sh- assuredly many other players who have had some level of experience with concussions that we don't know about. I mean, we listened to Daniel Carcillo on the show a month ago, and the stuff that he was talking about himself and, and Steve Montador, there's so much stuff we don't know about. So it's not just Kyle Ocposo and his history. Like, we should be afraid 
with every player and not just their third, fourth, or fifth concussions. We should be afraid about their first because that's how this stuff starts. So we shouldn't just single out Kyle Ogposo and say, well, you know, it shouldn't have gone that far with him. It should be, it shouldn't go that far with anybody. Right, that's where have, it should start. We have Brian on the line. I want to see what Brian has to say. Brian, thanks for calling in. Hey, first time caller, long time listener, guys. How you doing? Brian. Doing all right, Brian. Thanks for uh, thanks for giving us a buzz. Well, hey, I, you got me going when you started talking about Oposo and hockey fights and how it goes. There was just about a week ago a court case involving the UFC fighter Mark Hunt at UFC 200. He fought Brock Lesnar um, in a big card at Madison Square Garden. After the fight. Lesnar tested positive for two performance-enhancing drugs. So Hunt sued. He said, I accept that there's a risk involved in this sport. He says, you know, and the risks that are implied in the sport. Fighting a juiced opponent goes above and beyond the risk I accept when I participate in this sport. And the judge threw that part of his lawsuit out, uh, citing a previous court's ruling that a batter that had been hit by a beanball accepted the risk that he could be beamed playing baseball. And it kind of relates to a pozo because all of these things are illegal in the sports. There are penalties for it. The fight was overturned to a no contest. The batter was awarded first base. The guy who slugged the pozo got a major penalty, but they're still part of the sports. And um, the other you know, other examples you can think of a player getting hit out of bounds in football. It's 15 yards and a first down, but it could be a career ending injury. So it's like, I, I, it's just something that I had to, I had to wrestle with and decide or couldn't decide how I thought about it. Cause it was, you know, there's these risks. The play itself is illegal under the rules of the game, but there's no remedy for a player who's injured by breaking those rules. And I just want to roll it out there so you guys can kick it back and forth. We can maybe talk about Todd Bertuzzi. That and, was bad. Uh, uh, you know, that but was bad. The other thing, mm-hmm. too, Brian, I, I think these are all great points to make that really flesh out the, the discussion. I think where I am is I just don't think it should be a part of the game. And I understand that a lot of fans get something out of it. There is a thrill to seeing the fight in hockey. But to me, it's 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 again. I, I bring it back, and I'm, I'm maybe I'm oversimplifying. It's tantamount. If I go to watch a basketball game, I don't need to see thirty seconds of dodgeball uh, in the middle of the game while two guys discuss, you know, try to determine who had, uh, you know, who's who's the tougher guy after an intentional foul. I mean, there's there's remedies, and I think that if so, yeah, there's fighting. Uh, Running a goalie, all these different things. Uh, you know, there should be stiffer penalties involved, so that way you don't need to escalate a situation by everybody having an enforcer, uh, or so every school or hospital doesn't need to have a guy with AR-15s because somebody else guy might come by with an AR-15. Uh, it's uh, it's as stupid a tradition as baseball when somebody gets hit and then the next guy's going to throw at his head. Well, throw high yeah, on that, there's that right, too. But but let's wait a and second. Guys get ejected. We, but we do celebrate slap shot. 
We'll put that mm-hmm. on and we'll quote from it. Well, we we'll... celebrate Blazing Saddles too, but that doesn't mean I'm walking around talking like that. Right. Well, I mean, there are the, well, something. I mean, it's I, a I don't comedy. Know what your bean count is either. <laughs> it's your... your big bean count. <laughs> but but all I'm saying, but well, yeah, but I, I don't I don't I don't understand the connection. We're talking about hockey and hockey fighting. Slapshot is one of the most famous movies, yeah. and it's not a movie without the gooning. Yep. True. And that. I'm not. I actually like where the game has gotten to this point. I think it's faster. I I, I don't miss the fighting. Um, I agree with you that perhaps the officials should have stepped in, and maybe that is what the next step is to further eliminate fighting. Um, I'm still going to bring up and 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 the difference between what happened to Kyle Poso as opposed to Rudy Tomjanovich, who had his um. Cheek broken, I yeah. believe his jaw. Right. It was but, his face, right? And Kermit that was Washington. a heat of the moment thing. Whereas opposed to what happened on Friday, there was time to break that up. And Brian, uh, as a fan of the pugilistic arts, uh, what is your just on my, my, what's your personal take? Just to satisfy my own curiosity, what's your personal take on fighting and hockey? I, I can do without it. Like you say, I I was a season ticket holder throughout the eighties and nineties when I was younger. And I never saw anybody sit down during a hockey fight, but just sitting watching the games on TV like I do mostly now, I can live without it. I'm with John. The game's faster. It's more skilled. There's more puck movement. It's it's a better game to watch without the momentum sapping stoppages as you know the linesmen and the referees gather on the scorer's table and try to sort everything out. Let's just keep it moving, guys. It's like biathlon. You skate around, and then every every so often you have to stop and do a different event. They're also not like on the standard of watching fighting sports. They're not good fights. You guys can't get any leverage on their skates, and they're pulling shirts over each other's That's heads true. and they're throwing I, these I, I sloppy punches. It's uh, There's a certain, I think, aesthetic appeal to a classic hockey fight, but it's not like yeah. – you go to these games, you're like, I really want to see that no, guy's but it was a part of the right game. jab combo. And why isn't it a part of international hockey if it's if it's a part? You never see it in the Olympics. Exactly. Shock the Russians, but it no, doesn't matter. It's in, it was in college the NHL. I think it shocks people who aren't familiar with this weird hockey culture. I remember going to Worcester Ice Cats AHL games growing up, and there would be fights, and my mom would stand up out of her seat and start yelling, "Break it up!" <laughs> But that was probably a little bit of overkill. I think I was well. That's the thing in, in mind. That was a selling time. point for minor league hockey. For yeah. as somebody who covered the international hockey league, it was funny because the team that I covered fought like crazy at home, and they went on the road and they just out. They just skate the other team in, or in circles. But at home, they fought, and they had guys who wouldn't even play on the road that they dress at home for the purpose of <laughs> giving the people a reason to buy a couple extra tickets. But. Brian, thanks for calling in. I, I appreciate you lending uh, your thoughts, and I was not aware of the uh, the Mark Hunt case against Brock Lesnar. Uh, so that yeah, that's an interesting case. I guess maybe you throw in uh, all right. So that was in the ring, but what about the um, uh, you know a brawl that happens at the pre-fight uh, at the right. weigh-in? Right. Like if a fight breaks out at the weigh-in, is, should there be a lawsuit there? That wasn't part of the fight, but a guy decides he's going to throw a punch uh, at the stare down. Um, oh, we just had that at UFC 229 when Nurmagomedov jumped over the cage into the crowd right. after one of McGregor's teammates. The Nevada State Athletic Commission just handed down a bunch of suspensions and a half a million dollar fine to uh, Nurmagomedov. Of course, 
you know as well as anybody, the New York State or uh, the Nevada State Athletic Commission, they like to hand out the heavy fines. They uh, their little operation there doesn't run on on thoughts and prayers. They like money, so <laughs> they have a lot of leverage out there, Brian. Uh, they know that they can throw those fines around, and they're still going to get the business. Whereas other states, uh, you start fining, they just don't come to your state anymore. But uh, yeah, the uh, that's uh, that's the pound of flesh that the Nevada State Athletic Commission will get. Tim, who was the fighter that uh, Mike Tyson broke his jaw in a nightclub fight? Is that Tony Tucker or oh Mitch Green? Mitch Green, Mitch Blood yep. Green, and uh, good times. It just it comes down to this idea in any walk of life. It doesn't have to be hockey or even sports that winning a fight physically makes you better in some way. I think that's just on its own is a dumb concept. The fact that I could walk up to Bobby Rosati and hit him in the jaw and knock him out right now makes me stronger or makes me better or makes me tougher. Like, in what world? That's stupid. It's just so unevolved and medieval (laughs) and just the very concept of it. There was a belief. There was a belief and and that it could be a momentum changer and that's where you got these show fights that started happening. Yeah, it was. All right, we need to squeeze in a break here because we do have... uh, Louisville at Syracuse tonight, so we do have oh, to be right. out of here on time. Uh, big basketball game. In fact, let's talk about that when we come back from the break because uh, Louisville has on its team, in fact, best player is a kid from Park who's coming into his own, has been playing great. Uh, the, the beauty of him playing for Louisville is you get to see him on national TV a lot. Uh, we're going to talk about that when we come back here on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show is to entertain, inform, and to is the Tim Graham Show. It's just like a rummage sale under a roof. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Is to entertain, inform, and to provoke thought. What are you doing? I'm making a fiancé for my niece. What kind of a question is that? Is some kind of a nut or something? The Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Because what I'm looking for is something, I'm going to pop the old stuff out and put my stuff in it. <laughs> the Tim Graham Show. Anywho. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan here. I'm Tim Graham from The Athletic. Here in studio, the entire two hours has been John Warrow of the Associated Press. From Warrow, we talk about Jordan Wara. <laughs> University of Louisville, six foot seven sophomore from Park School. Wow. He's going to be playing uh, on these very airwaves uh, right after the show. Uh, Louisville plays Syracuse uh, right here on Sports Radio 1270. The fan and Wara, uh, he's a sophomore, as I said, but the best player on one of the best teams in the country, averaging 17.5 points per game, which leads the Cardinals, and 7.7 rebounds a game, which leads the Cardinals. And uh, for a big guy, well, 6'7", I guess. He's an outsider. Right. Yeah, he's – but, yeah. But he's a – Big perimeter All, play. Eight, eight rebounds a game is is impressive. Um, He's the second. His scoring increase from last year is the second highest in the country, 10.8 points better than he was scoring last year. Hmm. Played himself into being – he's going to be an NBA player. The question really right now is whether he comes out now or if he stays another year. Now he's kind of a borderline first, second-round guy. Might be wise if he played one more year and was a legitimate first-round player prospect coming out of his junior season but depending on how it goes the rest of the season NCAA tournament he could play himself into being that type of player now 
his U of L bio under personal, where they give the little quick hitting things about, you know, uh, quick questions about life. He said he would most like to meet Beyonce. He may have a chance, right? In the National the Basketball Association. Go to one of those Brooklyn Nets games. Jay-Z sitting there with her. Maybe he plays for him. Maybe. What yeah. do we, uh, Canisius. I know we always seem to wrap up the show with Canisius, but uh, the Canisius Golden Griffins. First uh, place. First place, but uh, lost their last game. Lost their last game. I went to the game. They didn't play that great. It's a Manhattan. Yeah, it's. We tried to get into Kanisha's basketball last week and had a little trouble. We talked about them a little bit, uh, I remember. They're they're struggling a bit. It, it, it's a funny thing because they are in first place. They do have a pretty good record. They could win that league. They could get an automatic bid to the NIT by winning the regular season Just a bad title. League. They could win the MAC tournament, go to the NCAA tournament. In that case, I'm almost certain they'd be a 16 seed. Right. But at the same time, it feels like their season is Would coming they be apart a, a little game? bit. Well, see, I don't know, because half of the 16s do play in games and half of them don't, mm-hmm. and it isn't a real clear demarcation as to how they pick that. Well, but they definitely are, would be in the mix. They would definitely be a 16 seed, and I guess at that point have a 50-50 chance of being in a playing game. They're 277 right now in the net out of 353. <laughs> it's a bad league if they're first. Yeah, um, they're, right. better that's, the, they're better than the Sabres. They're better than the Sabres? Better than Niagara in the net. Niagara is... Make for an interesting MAC tournament in all. Niagara's three hundred five in the net. All right, my thanks to John Warrior, the Associated Press, for coming in. No problem. Beers at Elmo's uh, as payment. Where's that? Uh, also to ESPN.com's Mike Rodak for co-hosting once again. Jonah Bronstein live camming uh, on the I, Periscopes. We need to stop that. I don't. I don't ever want to think about Jonah Bronstein live camming. He does. You're the one. He does it every week. Right in the middle of the show. He points the camera right at you. Yeah. Producing your live. I don't want to see that. Bobby Rosati handling the show today. Involved. He was engaged. He was mixing it up. (laughs) He was mixing the board, and he was mixing it up with us. And mixing the vape flavors. We (laughs) did. uh, We did uh, new promos today. Yeah, those those are going to be putting in bombers coming up. Catch us next week right here, four o'clock. On Wednesday, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan.